Let's open our Bibles together to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And I'm going to read and preach verses 9 and 10 this morning, just two verses. Romans 12, 9 and 10. The book of Romans is about the gospel, the good news of salvation for sinners through faith in Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul, the human author of this letter, said back in chapter 1, verse 16, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And he's taken the first 11 chapters to explain the gospel, and now he's taking the remaining chapters to apply the gospel to our lives. And chapter 12, as we've seen, has been packed with exhortations, brief commands about how to live the Christian life in the context of the local church, the body of Christ. And as we continue to give our attention to these commands, which are really coming even uh, faster at us, starting in verse nine, let me just clarify that these are things we are called to do not for our salvation, but from our salvation or because of our salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith, not by our works, not by our obedience. So our obedience to these commands is not the cause of our salvation, it's really the effect of our salvation. Our obedience to these commands is not the root, it's the fruit. And the fruit is enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. So let's keep that in mind as we proceed. These are things we do not for our salvation, but from our salvation. And these are things we do by the enabling grace of the Spirit. Well, with that in mind, let's look to the Lord in prayer together, and then we'll give our attention to the reading and the preaching of his word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this chapter of your word and for how it calls us out of ourselves, out of our selfishness, and into a life of love and humble service of you and others. As we read these commands and as we ponder them together, would you challenge us and convict us of our sin, lead us to repentance and forgive us through the grace of Christ, and empower us and equip us to walk in humble obedience to your word by the enabling grace of your spirit and for the good of the body of Christ and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Romans 12, reading verses nine and 10. This is the word of God. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. As you can see in your sermon notes, we'll take each of these exhortations in turn. First, the one about genuine love, then about good versus evil, then about brotherly affection, and finally about showing honor. And kids, don't forget to listen for those key words for kids at the top as you listen to the sermon. 
Number one, genuine love. Paul says in the first part of verse nine there, let love be genuine. Note three things here. First, the importance of love. Note the importance of love. Love comes first in this list of exhortations about how to live the Christian life. Love comes first in the fruit of the spirit list in Galatians 5. In Colossians 3, after listing a number of things that we should put on as believers, Paul says, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. At the end of 1 Corinthians 13, a wonderful chapter on love, Paul says in verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And over in Romans 13, verses eight through 10, Paul says, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So note the importance of love in the Bible and therefore in our lives as Christians. Secondly, consider the object of our love, which is not stated here, but I think it's implied given the surrounding context. Of course, the primary object of our love should be God. But I think the object of our love in this verse is our fellow believers. Given the fact that Paul's just been talking about the spiritual gifts that we should use for the benefit of the body, the body of Christ, our fellow believers, our fellow Christians. Love for God and love for one another in the body of Christ are of course related. They go together, they cannot be separated 1 John 4, 20 and 21, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's true, we should Keep that in mind, but again, given the surrounding context, I think the object of our love that Paul's referring to here is one another. Let love be genuine. Let the love you have for one another in the body of Christ be genuine. And that's the third thing we should note here, the character of our love. Our love for one another should be genuine, It should be real, it should be sincere, it should be heartfelt. We shouldn't be nice on the outside, but mean on the inside. We shouldn't smile at people on our face while judging them in our heart. We shouldn't be outwardly courteous, but inwardly covetous. Our love shouldn't be fake or phony, it should be genuine and sincere, shouldn't be hypocritical, putting on a loving face, but having an unloving heart towards one another. 
Robert Haldane wrote, Christians ought to be careful that while they use to each other the endearing language of brethren, they feel the sentiments and perform the actions which this language imports. Don't just profess love for one another. Have love and show love for one another. 1 Timothy 1.5 says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Let love be genuine. Let the love you have and show for one another in the body of Christ be genuine, real, sincere, from the heart, from a pure heart, a heart purified by the living and abiding word of God. Now, what do you do if your love for your fellow church members is genuine by the grace of God, but is often weak and cold. What do you do? Well, three things at least. One is to pray about it. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Repent of the sinful lack of love for your fellow church members. Confess it to God and ask him to forgive you and to cleanse you. And ask him to make you increase and abound in love for one another. And you can pray also for your fellow church members. Your love for them will grow as you pray for them. So pray. Second thing to do is to exercise your love for them. Like other graces, love gets stronger with exercise. So if you want to grow love for each other in your heart, exercise love for each other in your actions. Do simple things like talking to each other after the services and spending time with one another during the week. Find ways to serve each other in practical ways and to serve others together. Pray with each other, pray for each other. Carry one another's burdens. Use your gifts to serve others. And as you do that, as you exercise love, your love will grow stronger. Third, Third thing to do if you find your love for your fellow church members has grown cold is to warm your love for them at the fire of God's love for them. As we sing together, I love thy church, O God, her walls before thee stand, dear as the apple of thine eye and graven on thy hand. Meditate on God's love for the people you're struggling to love. They are the apple of his eye and are graven on his hand. They are near and dear to his heart. They are his people and the sheep of his pasture. He loves them with an everlasting love. And the more you ponder that, the more you dwell on that, the warmer your love for them will grow next to the fire of God's love for them. Richard Baxter once said, writing to pastors, though it's applicable to all of us in the church, 
Every time we look upon our congregations, let us believingly remember that they are the purchase of Christ's blood and therefore should be regarded by us with the deepest interest and the most tender affection. If your love for your fellow believers is weak and cold, remember that they are the purchase of Christ's blood. He gave his life for them. He died for them. He died for you. And when we believingly remember that, as Baxter said, we will come to regard each other with the deepest interest and the most tender affection. Let love be genuine. Secondly, there's an exhortation about good versus evil. Look at the second half of verse nine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. We're told to abhor what is evil, to hate it, to detest it, to despise it, to oppose it, to reject it, to repel it. Kids, I'm I'm sure you've probably played with magnets before. Maybe you have some magnets in your home you've played with. And you know that if you have two magnets turned a certain way, they'll attract each other, they'll go together. But if you turn them the other way, they'll repel each other. You can't put them together. Well, if we think of evil as a magnet and we're the other magnet, we shouldn't be turned towards evil and attracted to it. We should be turned away from evil and should repel it. And we're to do this not just in our actions, but also in our affections, God's word tells us. We're to avoid evil in our acts, but we're also to abhor evil in our hearts. Amos five fifteen, hate evil and love good. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Psalm 97, verse 10 is a very interesting verse. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. If you love the Lord, you're gonna hate what is against the Lord. You can't love both. You can't love Gandalf and love Sauron. You can't love Aslan and love the White Witch. We we know this. If you love the one, you're going to hate the other. How much more than if you love the Lord should you hate evil? If you're for the Lord, you're going to be against what is against the Lord. If you love him, you're gonna hate what is evil. Now, of course, hatred can be a very good thing, but it can also be a very bad thing. I think we know this intuitively. Like fire that can either warm or burn, that can heat up your home or burn down your home. 
Hatred can be a good thing or a bad thing depending largely on the object of our hatred. We should hate racism. We should hate abortion. We should hate abuse. We should hate injustice. It would be wrong not to hate those things because those things are evil. If you saw someone abusing a child or assaulting an elderly person and you didn't feel anything or do anything about it, that would be wrong, right? If you saw that evil happening, it would be right for you to feel and to say that's wrong and then to do something about it. Well, that's part of what it means to abhor what is evil. It's to respond rightly to wrongdoing. It's to repel it like a magnet. In all the stories, the good guys don't stand idly by while the bad guys do bad things. The good guys go after the bad guys. They seek to right the wrongs, and that is right and good. Hatred, therefore, is a virtue, so long as the object of our hatred is evil. Because God says to abhor what is evil. To hate evil is good. Not to hate evil is evil. And if you flip the coin over, we're called also to hold fast to what is good. We're to cleave to what is good, to cling to what is good. To hold on to it with all our might. As one paraphrase puts it, we're to run for dear life from evil and hold on for dear life to good. Like a little child when she's scared, grabs her mother's hand and doesn't let go. We're to grab hold of what is good and not let go of it. We're to hold fast to it. Now, at least on some issues, we know that the culture around us tends to do the opposite. They sometimes abhor what is good and hold fast to what is evil. And what do we do with that? How should we respond to that as the people of God? Well, first of all, we shouldn't follow them in that. When they abhor what is good, we should hold fast to it. And when they hold fast to what is evil, we should abhor it. We shouldn't abhor them, really. We should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And we should proclaim the gospel to them and earnestly desire that they too would repent and believe in Christ for their salvation as God has enabled us to do. But we shouldn't follow the course of this world. We shouldn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. We shouldn't float with the current downstream. We should swim against the current upstream, abhorring what is evil and holding fast to what is good. And we shouldn't do that arrogantly, which I think makes it easy for the world to write us off, makes us an easy target. Rather, we should do it humbly and gently and lovingly which might make people think. We should hold fast to what is good 
as defined by God, not by the world, or even our own sinful flesh. And we should abhor what is evil starting really with our own sin. And we should recognize that this is heart work for which we are utterly dependent on the Holy Spirit. As Robert Haldane said on this point, Christians are not to be satisfied with abstaining from what is evil and practicing what is good. The affections should be in unison with their duty. They should hate as well as avoid what is sinful and love as well as practice what is good. We thus learn that we are accountable to God for the state of our minds as well as for our external conduct. We should not only not practice, but not love evil. So be on the lookout for evil in your own heart and abhor it wherever you see it. Be on the lookout for evil in the world around you and repel it like a magnet. Hold fast to what is good. Grab a hold of it and never let go. Third, we find an exhortation about brotherly affection. So Paul returns to the concept of love. In the first part of verse nine, he said, let love be genuine. In the first part of verse 10 now, he says, love one another with brotherly affection. Who are we supposed to love? We're supposed to love one another, it says, which again in context refers to our fellow believers within the body of Christ. But which one another's are we called to love? I think we're especially called to love the one another's in our local church. Certainly there's a sense in which we're called to love our fellow believers all around the world and all around town, but the main focus of our love should be the brothers and sisters in Christ we've committed ourselves to in our local church. When Paul's writing this letter to the Christians in Rome, telling them to love one another with brotherly affection, he means primarily their fellow believers in their local church. He doesn't mean primarily their fellow believers in, say, Philippi, but the believers they worship with every Lord's Day, rub shoulders with during the week, the ones they know and are known by in their local church. Our relationships with our fellow church members should be some of the most meaningful relationships we have. If most of your meaningful relationships are outside the local church, I don't think that's very healthy. Not that you can't have meaningful relationships with people who aren't members of this church, that's not what I'm saying, but if the majority of your meaningful relationships are with people other than your spiritual family, I don't think that's healthy and I would encourage you to think about that. We're called to love one another in the body of Christ, especially the local manifestation of the body of Christ that we're members of. And if you don't have meaningful relationships with your fellow church members, don't despair about that. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. 
Ask God for help in this area. And take steps, even a single step, towards meaningful relationships with others. Be here every Sunday morning, every Sunday evening, unless providentially hindered from coming. Linger after the services. Don't be in a hurry to get away. Interact with others, as challenging as that may be. Pray for your fellow church members during the week. Ask yourself, do people in the church know me? Do people in this church really know me? Have I given them the opportunity to know me? Am I open with people about my life and the things that are going on in my life? Do I share my struggles? Do I ask for prayer? Relationships take time. They're like farming. You plant the seed, you water the seed regularly, you you give it sunlight, and over time, it will grow and bear fruit by the blessing of God. So invest in relationships in the local church. Love the one another's God has planted you next to. Who are we supposed to love? We're supposed to love one another, especially the one another's in our local church. How are we supposed to love one another? Paul says, with brotherly affection. Listen to a few other translations and paraphrases. Be devoted to one another in love. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Let us have real warm affection for one another as between brothers. Have tender family affection for one another in brotherly and sisterly love. We are brothers and sisters in the family of God. We have God as our father and Christ as our elder brother. We are family. So we're to treat each other like family. We're to love each other like family. Love one another with brotherly affection, with special affection, strong affection, with committed affection, with enduring affection. When we love each other this way, it helps our evangelism. Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When we love one another with brotherly affection, even though we're different from one another in many ways, that commends the gospel to those outside the church. It adorns our profession of the gospel like Christmas ornaments adorn a Christmas tree. It lends credibility to the gospel that it creates this kind of countercultural community. When we love each other this way, it helps our evangelism. When we don't love each other this way, it hinders our evangelism. It makes it so we're sailing against the wind. But when we love each other as Christ loved us, we're sailing with the wind. And it helps our proclamation of the gospel to those around us. Love one another with brotherly affection. I think a good 
application question to ask yourself or perhaps talk about after the service or over lunch is simply, what are some practical ways we can love each other with brotherly affection? What are some practical ways we can love each other with brotherly affection? You might consider asking yourself that question at the beginning of each new week. What are some ways I can love my fellow church members with brotherly affection in the coming week, in this week ahead? Perhaps you could ask that question during family worship sometime this week. What are some specific ways we can obey the command to love one another with brotherly affection? Fathers, as you lead family worship, ask that question. Talk about it with your wife, your children, and ask God for grace to put it into practice. Fourth, and finally, we have an exhortation about showing honor. Paul says in the second half of verse 10, outdo one another in showing honor. We're called to outdo each other in showing honor to each other. So it's sort of like a holy competition. But it's not a race to the top, it's a race to the bottom. It's not a dash to be first, it's a dash to be last. It's not stepping over each other so we can climb higher up the ladder, it's trying to get down lower so we can lift each other up higher. Similar to Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, Count others more significant than yourselves. So instead of there being lots of, I was here first. No, I was. There should be lots of, here, you go first. No, no, you go first. As we seek to outdo one another and showing honor to one another. No matter who we are, male or female, young or old, church member or church officer, we're to show honor to one another and give preference to each other and count each other as more significant than ourselves. Like Paul, who described himself as the least of the apostles and the very least of all the saints and even the chief of sinners. This is the cure to the disease of pride. Rather than building ourselves up, we're called to stay low and build others up. We're called not to be served, but to serve like our Savior. And speaking of our Savior, As we draw to a close this morning, it's encouraging to think of how he actually did all these things for us. Let love be genuine. Christ's love for us was genuine. He loved us to the uttermost. Greater love had no one than he had for us. Christ 
loved his enemies. And it's not like he says he loves us, but behind closed doors, he's kind of bothered by us. No, he loves us through and through. If you peel back all the layers, it's love all the way down to the core with Christ. Christ's love for us was genuine and it remains genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Jesus did that perfectly during his earthly life. Always hating evil, always loving good. And not only so, he also took our evil upon himself on the cross. And he credited us with his own goodness. So that all our evil is atoned for and all his goodness is counted as ours. And therefore our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Love one another with brotherly affection. He perfectly fulfilled this command as well, didn't he? What a blessing it must have been to be one of his earthly brothers or sisters. To receive from him at all times a brotherly affection that was untainted by sin. But you know what? He's loved all of his people with brotherly affection. Even though we were his enemies. And he continues to love us with affection and tenderness as our elder brother. How about the last one? Outdo one another in showing honor. Christ showed us honor, even though we deserved his wrath. Philippians 2 says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And he did that for us. Even though we didn't show honor to him who deserves all honor, he showed honor to us who deserve no honor. And what our Savior did perfectly for us, he now calls us to do sincerely for him. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Let's walk in his footsteps by his grace and for his glory. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for doing these things for us. 
Help us to do them now for you and for each other. We want to love each other with a genuine love and with brotherly affection. But honestly, we are often weighed down by our own selfishness or our fears and anxieties. So please help us. Empower us to love as we've been loved. And to do that even today in new ways for the benefit of others. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's take just a minute to think and pray about what we've heard and then we'll sing together.